Okay, praise Jesus. Uh, we are coming back to Romans. Woohoo! Praise the Lord. And uh, we have been away from Romans for so long that I have decided that what we really need tonight is not just to pick up at verse 18, but we're going to do a lecture tonight as opposed to a sermon, and we're going to go back and reintroduce Romans. Uh, remember, it's not enough to just look at the trees. You also have to see the forest. You need to see what the forest looks like so you can see then how the individual pieces fit into that forest. And if you remember from way back before Thanksgiving, I think, uh, I said that my big idea... If I was going to preach Romans all at once, my big idea for that sermon is trust in the cross is power for life. Trust in the cross, in what God did on the cross for you is power so that you can live so that you can experience God today and every day this side of eternity and then live with him forever as well. So I gave you notes as you came in. Uh, my uh, altered a little bit different than last time I gave you an outline of Romans, how I see what Paul is saying there. And so today I want to convince you that this is a good way of looking at it. But I'm not going to go point by point because that will take too long. So instead, I want to remind you of the key verse. Back to the idea of Romans as a sermon again. If a sermon needs a text, many preachers, many expositors have said that the text that Romans exposits is verses 1 16 and 17. I'll read that for us right here. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the good news of God relating to Christ Jesus, as he tells us in verse 3. For this gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in this good news of God, as it relates to Jesus, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Or I think the NIV actually does a really good job in paraphrasing this. Beginning and ending in faith. As it is written, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. Paul is very concerned in Romans that we understand the good news. And right off the top, he begins right away declaring that this letter is about the good news of God. This is God's good news. This is what God tells to everybody in the world. This is what you've got to hear. Now, it is good for many reasons. One is because there's bad news. We're going to get to that very quickly here. There is bad news. And because there's bad news, we need to have good news. It's also good news because it is God Himself, God the Father, speaking to you. 
God has written in His Word a love letter so that you would know Him. The Bible is not primarily a law book. The Bible is not primarily rules, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Primarily, what the Bible is, is a love letter so that you can know God and you can know yourself and you can know how you have a relationship. And Paul says right here that the essence, the the ticket in, and then as we find out later, the ticket through this life is trusting in the cross. Because it is the cross where God seals all of His promises. And God raises God the Son from the grave so that we would know that everything He said is true for us. And if you believe this, if you have confidence in this promise, if you base your life today and tomorrow and all the tomorrows that you have on God's promises, then you will have power for life. Does anybody feel like they don't have enough power? Anybody feel like they need more of God working in you to defeat bitterness, to defeat covetousness, to defeat sloth, to defeat indecision? Go to the cross. Let me show you Romans quickly. You can see above, behind me, uh, this, inter- this, this very quick overview of Romans. 1 to 17 is an introduction. And as I just said, verses 16 and 17 are the text, so to speak, that Paul is going to exposit. And if you remember, we spent a great deal of time unpacking the sentence, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. And what we see in verses 118 through the end of 839 is a breakdown of this sentence. And Paul is going to clarify it. In 1.18 to 3.20, Paul says, everybody is unrighteous. Everybody is guilty. Nobody stands righteous before the Lord. That's the bad news. But then he's got to say, praise Jesus, in verses 3.21 to 4.25, this is how you can be righteous. This is what it takes for God to declare you righteous, and that righteousness comes when you trust God's promises. But then Paul is very interested in the next four chapters to explain, okay, now that you have been declared righteous, now that this fundamental change has happened to you, how will you live? And this is the shall live part, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. And he's very clear here. He says we are declared right. Um, we shall live free from the wrath of God. We shall live free from sin in chapter six. We shall live free from the law in chapter seven. And in chapter eight, we shall live free from death and condemnation. I need an amen on that. Amen. And because God has done this, then He moves us into a different realm. Paul uses the word aeon, or this this word that means new way of living, a new age, so to speak. And we're going to spend a lot of time 
working on that, especially when we get to chapter 5. But this new aeon, we find out, is that we are now in Christ, both temporally, that will extend on into eternity, but also just in our being. And because of that, we are righteous in Him. And therefore, we have hope. But then, as we get to 9 to 11, what we find in Romans is that Paul needs to clarify a few things. Paul has just declared that no one is righteous, and the way you get declared righteous is not through the temple sacrifices, is not through marrying good kosher girls, is not by eating right, is not by anything external, it's all by faith. And so his his combatant, the person who he is setting up as arguing with him, says, whoa, 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 Paul, you're all wet, brother. You're dead wrong. What about the Jews? What about the promises? And so Paul needs to clarify here in 9 through 11 this balance. You remember the metaphor I gave you a couple of months ago is that you can see in Romans a railroad track. And in Romans, you see this railroad track going down, and it's got two sides. It's got two lines, so to speak. And and the first major line that you will not understand Romans without is this idea of what is new. What is the good news? What is the new covenant all about? What What are we learning because of the revelation that has come through Christ and his apostles? But you all know, you know, if, if you just start off in a new direction, well, that's fine, but what about what's behind? And so Paul needs to ask the complementary question, and that is, what of the old has continued in the new? How is what is new, how is what Christ has said and done a continuation of what has come before? And that is absolutely crucial. And primarily, 9 through 11 is discussing that. Then Paul is, as as many of you have known, if you've been in Sunday school for any number of years, which I assume is everybody in this room, (laughs) you know that Paul's letters kind of neatly divide into two halves, right? You got the doctrinal side, then you got the practical side. Well, that doesn't turn out to be exactly neatly true, but it makes a good Uh, preaching foil. There's plenty of application in the doctrinal half, and there's plenty of doctrine in the application half, but there is a sense in which Paul changes gears at 12, and now he's talking about how is it that we are to live in light of the various aspects of life that we're going to go through. And so Paul spends the time in 12 to 521. And then he concludes. And so what I want to do right now is I want to kind of give us just a little bit of a flavor by unpacking some of these verses and by reminding us over and over as Paul goes through this letter that trust in the cross is power for life. If you hear nothing else today, I want you to know That in every bit of your life, you can trust 
God the Son's sacrifice on the cross to give you power as you struggle through health issues, as you struggle through relationship issues, as you struggle with parents or children, as you struggle in all of life. Go back in your mind and your heart to what God did on the cross and you will have power to live for Him through this. So let's go back to chapter 2. And I'm, as I said, I'm only going to take one or two passages from each one just so we can kind of get a flavor of what is going on in each of these major subsections. So the first one I want to look at is found in Romans chapter 2, verse 13. Paul writes this, he says, It is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now, now wait a minute. Didn't I just say that we are saved by grace through faith, not by doing the law? Did anybody catch that? Are you, you're all, anybody awake here? I just want to make sure you're all awake. And I, I just want to show you that that is indeed Scripture. You, are, you, you can be saved by being doers of the law. I, I have a question. How many have always ever only obeyed every commandment of God every moment of every day since you were conceived? Anybody? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Anybody? No. Oh, well, I guess that's not going to apply to any of us, is it? So we can't, we can't be justified by the law, can we? Because we've already lost. We've already failed. Now that's bad news. Because my pride wants me to... Yes, I can do this. But I can't. So, I need to look continue. And Paul clarifies an important point even while he's talking about the fact that we are unrighteous. He says in verse 28 of chapter 2, "No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Now when we get to this passage, we're going to find out that there are four signs that every good Jew relied upon. They're pretty easy. There's circumcision, there's Sabbath, there's living kosher, and there's worshiping at the temple, doing the various temple sacrifices. And every Jew would look at those four things, and as long as he or she was consistent in making those happen, hey, I'm solid, I'm golden, God has got to give me a place in the kingdom because I'm so good. And Paul, if you go through, especially here in Romans and also in Colossians, you will see that, in Galatians, uh, you will see that Paul refers to one or more of those four signs. But you will see, if you look through the, Old, the New Testament, you'll see all four of those revealed. And if you go and read any Jewish literature of the time, you'll see they camp out on those four things. But Paul wants you to know it's not about these four things. It's about the Spirit coming. And that's exactly what he says. He says it's not a, a matter of being outwardly and physically circumcised. It's an inward matter. It's a circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. So we must have God the Spirit 
do a work in us so that we can be presentable to God. That's fundamental. Now this here doesn't speak about the cross. But we see again that it is about trusting in what God has done more than what I have done. Because, as we see as we get to the end of this chapter, or this particular section, 118 to 320, we see that none is righteous. No, not one. Next slide. No one understands. No one seeks for God. For there is no fear of God before their eyes. I don't know about you. I've never lived in your skin. But sometimes I am amazed at the depth of the depravity of my own heart. Where did that come from? I'm convinced, by the way, that when you get some particularly heinous thought going through your heart and mind, I'm convinced more often than not that is demonic activity. I think that Satan is a whole lot more alive and active in this country than we think he is. And one of the things that I've done is I've begun saying, be gone, Satan. You have no, you have no call on me. So get out of here. So, we are lost. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. And we, we established that there is no one righteous, so we must be declared righteous. We must have righteousness credited to us. And how is that going to happen? Well, the most important paragraph in the Bible is 3.21-26. through 26. I'm not going to get there because I figured it would take way too much unpacking. And so I went to a simpler verse to understand that kind of brings all of this understanding of faith in what Christ has done to a head. And that is found in Romans 4, 11 and 12. He, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision. Remember, that became one of these four signs. As a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, by trusting in God's promises while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to us as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is absolutely crucial. You have to understand this in order to understand the Bible. When Abraham is out there in the wilderness and God meets him. God met a coward. God met a man who put his wife in danger not once, but twice. Not only did God meet a coward that night, God met a waffler. He met a politician that night. Because he was willing to do what he knew was wrong because his wife told him to. Oh, go get Hagar. And then, a few years later, get rid of Hagar. I mean, this guy, what? He is the father of the faithful? But what happened? God came and he met Abraham. He said, hey, Abe, listen up. I want you to go out of your tent. I want you to look at all these stars. 
the average naked human eye can see 4,000 stars. There you go. He said, look up in the heavens and see how many stars you can see. So shall your descendants be. Now, he wasn't talking 4,000. He was talking a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, right? And Abram believed the Lord, Genesis 15, 6, and he, God the Father, credited it to him, Abraham, as righteousness. And Paul is going to this story in Genesis 15 and say, look, he's not circumcised here. You don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. That's the point that's going on here. And we need to call Father Abraham our dad as well because we're identifying with his faith. Jesus is asked in John chapter 6, what must we do to do the works of, the, of God? And Jesus says the works of God is this, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The method of salvation, the, the core of salvation has never changed. It's always been by grace through faith. How that faith is expressed has changed a couple of times. But then we continue, and as I said in Romans 5 through 8, we see that Paul wants to underline what does this shall live mean? What, what will it look like for us to live? And then we get to the peak of Mount Everest in Romans chapter 8. And Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. All your sin... Amen. Thank you. I need that. Amen. All your sins can be forgiven. Why? Because Jesus came to pay the penalty that every single one of them was owed. All your sins can be forgiven. Are you interested? Amen. And he did this in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Oh, I can't wait to get to Romans 8. That might take me a week or two. And, as I said a moment ago, so Paul exposits his text found in Habakkuk chapter 2. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. But then he's got this, the fancy word is interlocutor, his, the person he's arguing with, the person he's debating with. And the guy says, wait, 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 Paul, you're all wet because what about Moses? What about all the old covenant? And Paul turns to one of the most important verses anywhere in Romans chapter 9. He says, it is not as though the word of God has failed. Oh, I love that sentence. I love that sentence. Listen, people. Listen. What we have is new, but it doesn't overrule what is old. What is new is a continuation of what is old. It is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. It doesn't depend upon physical descent. 
but through Isaac, not Esau, shall your offspring be named. This means it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. It is not by your Jewish descent that you are saved or by your non-Jewish descent that you are rejected. It is instead a reflection of the fact that God is at move God is at work in you. And what he's saying here is you who rely on these four things, your circumcision, your Sabbath keeping, your kosher obedience, and your temple sacrifice, you who are dependent upon these things, you're all washed up. Because it depends on more than that. It depends on God. Now he gets to the end of 11, and there's so much we're just not even water skiing. We're like parasailing over here that we're, we're not touching, but we will get there by God's grace. He gets there to the end of chapter 11, and all that he can do is sing a song of praise. He's just astounded. He's just, oh my Lord Almighty, you are so wise and you are so magnificent. I bow myself to you. But then he quickly has to bring himself back down to earth because you and I live in this very real world, this very real, very sin-sick world. And so he gets to describing for us what it means to live in light of the various trials and the various difficulties we're going to have in this age. And one of the most important ones is right here in Romans 13, 8 through 10, where Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this world. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, if, you've, if you're paying attention, you may notice that there's a problem with what I've been saying for the last 20 minutes when I get to this verse. What I've been saying the whole time is that it's trusting in the promises of God. Trusting in the promises of God. It's trust in the promises of God, not obedience to the law that makes you one of God's. And here, Paul goes out of his way to say that it's love. So which is it? Is it trust in the promises of God or is it loving? I have a question. How often do you find it when you need to love somebody? Spouse, perhaps. Your neighbor, perhaps, whose dog started barking at 2 a.m. this morning and didn't shut up until after I left for work. Oh, I'm sorry, that was too autobiographical. <laughs> How often have you found it very difficult to love somebody? How often have you found it that you thought, man, if I really, genuinely love this person, it's going to cost me. And I'm not sure how I'm going to get paid back for what it's going to cost me to love this person. I'm just looking for honesty here. Has anybody ever felt that before? I have. Trust in the promises of God means that He is going to make 
all things right, including what it costs you to love that person who could never pay you back, including suffering the wrong that you suffered because someone was malicious. You know, it has been said, to be a leader is to be misunderstood. I would go farther than that. I would say to be a Christian is to be misunderstood. And when we seek to defend ourselves, we always lose. It's not about defending ourselves. It's about loving. God will take care of it. Are you going to get the short end of the stick? Yep. No doubt. 100%. Are you going to lay yourself out for someone who is unworthy? Yep, you are. If you're going to love. Are you going to just get trod upon? I'm afraid so. But God sees. God knows. And that's why love, putting the needs of others, putting your love for God before your fame, before your comfort, before your preferences becomes an expression of faith. God, I know you got my back. I know that you will take care of this. Therefore, I'm going to let it go. And that, I would say, is what 12 to 15 is all about. And then, you know how they call Kansas and Nebraska and Oklahoma flyover country? They call it flyover country because you're either going back east or you're going out west. And what do you do? You fly over these places and you just kind of blow by them. Uh, Fortunately, Pastor Benji for the last six years has been teaching us to pay attention to flyover verses. And when we get to Romans 15 and 16 we're going to spend a little bit of time in the text that we normally fly over. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. Oh, no. Okay. The end. All right, good. Did my quiet time. Okay, I'm just curious. Has anybody ever done that before? Yeah. Before you get to the end, you see Paul's love for people. And people matter. Numbers matter because people matter. And that's exactly where Paul is going in 15 and 16. But then we get to Romans 16, 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of a mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thanks for coming.